what do you consider as like the the benchmarks or the the touchstones of what a good rescue plan has Yeah, that's um, that's a really good question, Phil. Because there's there's a push towards rescue. Everybody wants to incorporate rescue into their program because hey, it's fun to train on, right? And it's it's fun to do. And they do have a lot of trick gear out there that you can you can do things with. But boiling down to reality, when something happens, you know, if if we can predict what's the most likely things that are going to happen, what 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 are we really going to see? on ropes courses? What kinds of incidents and accidents are we going to see? And then who is going to respond to those? And what is it that they're going to do? And those those three things are really at the core of, of everything. But so often, I think we we have this mindset that, oh, I have to have a rescue kit, and I have a, have a rescue team, and I have to have, and, and it's going to be all my best climbers, and it's going to be all my strongest guys. And it's like, yeah, those guys aren't there every day. And, and they're probably going to be at another location in the property when this incident does happen. And, and so are you really going to be, are they going to be able to get to this, this person in a timely fashion? So being able to think through probability and consequence. Everything in, in my head revolves around probability and consequence. What's, what's likely to happen? And when that happens, how, how dire is the situation going to be? And who do I have on hand? that can actually do something about it with the least amount of personal risk and personal intervention as possible. I, I think foundationally, we, we have to think in terms of simplicity. So when there's an incident on a, on a ropes course or anywhere else for that matter, it's, it's all about the subject, right? It's, it's not about what equipment or systems we're going to use. It's not about, you know, Mighty Mouse coming to the rescue. It's, it's, it's about the poor guy who's hanging there with whatever's happened, you know, whether he just got frightened and is now clinging to, to something small or, or he's had a, a medical event and he needs to get oxygen to his brain. It's all about the subject. And so the, the first thing that we have to be able to do is reach the subject. If we can't reach the subject somehow, then nothing else can progress from that point. So when we reach the subject, there's two things that we have to think about. There's two ways we can reach the subject. We can reach them verbally and we can reach them physically. So to reach them verbally, if they're awake, alert, and oriented, uh, somebody from the ground can do that. And that can be actually happening even while a mighty mouse is getting themselves into position. So, so having multiple things being able to happen simultaneously is, is not a bad thing, but reaching that subject is, is the first point that we have to think about. The second thing that we have to think about is extricating the subject from whatever it is that, that they're going through. So uh, if they're dangling from their harness, it's a whole lot different from if they're clinging to a pole, whether you have to lift them out of their system or simply pry their fingers out of the wood, it might be a different kind of a rescue. So often when we think about extrication, we do think about cutting. Everybody wants to cut. I'm not one of those people who is absolutely diametrically opposed to cutting. I think that, that there's a time and place for everything. But I don't think that cutting should necessarily be your first thought when it comes to rescue. If there's another way to do it, if you can lift the subject off of their system uh, and unclip them, that's ob obviously a, a smarter and safer way to do it. That said, if you've got your you know 98-pound summer person up there and a 220-pound person dangling there after their heart attack, what does that person need most? 
They need to get to the ground. They need to get to the hospital. And so being trained to cut if and when necessary, including having you know, safety devices, either seatbelt cutter or trauma shears or whatever, using cutting devices that are going to prevent catastrophic failure, I think is is an important consideration. But just automatically saying, we never cut, it's like, eh, never say never, right? So we want to reach the person, then we need to, to extricate them. During that extrication, again, we need to remember that they're a human being. They need some sort of medical intervention, whether that's psychological intervention or physical intervention or both. You know, they need to be able to have an airway and they need to be breathing and they, they need to not be dripping blood. And, and so you, you need to be sure that, that your ABCs are taken care of and you're not going to reset any, any knees or shoulders while you're dangling there, but you can sure do no harm. So reaching them, extricating them from the situation that they're in, and then transporting them or evacuating them from wherever they are is, is again, the next step. So you've got to get them out of what it, we extricate them from, from their predicament and then evacuate them from the scene. Always, 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 I suggest that when a rescue starts, even if it's the simplest, most benign, oh, this person's just dangling and they're panicked, but it looks like they might have had a medical situation or whatever, doesn't hurt to call 911, doesn't hurt to get them on the way because so often we're in remote locations and it's going to be 20 minutes at best before somebody actually reaches your ropes course. And if you wait until you're certain that they really did chop off their pinky, darn it. Oh, now we're 30 minutes into the rescue and I just figured that out. Gee, we should call an ambulance. It's a little late by that point. So it's a lot easier. And, and having been an emergency services responder, I can tell you that I would much rather get started and be stood down than to be late to a rescue and to not be able to help as much as I could have if I'd have been there earlier just because I was called late. Often we might run into clients who say, well, you know, firefighters, I can just call them. We, we're going to let the emergency services handle this. I wonder if you could talk to the hazards of leaving someone hanging in a position of compromised as it maybe relates to things like suspension trauma and the realities of maybe being in a harness and why you think that rescue training, even though the probability might be relatively low of something occurring, why you feel these things are important. So the whole concept of suspension trauma or suspension intolerance, it, it really came to light, oh gosh, some 20 years ago now. A fellow named Paul Seddon did some really good research, actually, uh, on incidents that had happened, focusing around, in France, some cavers, I guess cavers who had expired before rescue was able to reach them, with nothing wrong with them. They were just hanging in a harness. There's nothing wrong with these people physically, but they expired before rescue could reach them. And so stemming from that, he looked back at other incidents that had happened and other signs and symptoms of, of people who had been suspended for a prolonged period in, in a harness and found that it really is not good for your body. Medically, nobody has Every, there's several people that will say they know exactly why, but they're, they all differ from one another. Like there's a lot of different theories, which tells me that nobody really knows for sure. Um, you know, some people say it's it's com it's compression, and some people say that it's the the blood flow, and some people. But it doesn't really matter physiologically what it is. We know that we need to get people out of that suspended condition. When a person is hanging in a harness, depending on the harness attachment point that they're hanging from. 
if they're attached dorsally, which in industry is typically how people are attached, they're attached from that back point. And, and in some of our ropes course situations, they're, they're attached from that dorsal attachment as well. But if you've ever been hung from that dorsal attachment, you know that you're kind of hunched over, your, your diaphragm is compressed. If, if you're unconscious, your tongue is shifted forward in your mouth and forward is, is not where it needs to be. You know, that's what blocks your airway. So you're, you're not in much of a breathing predicament. You're not in, in, a, in a good place to breathe when you're attached dorsally. When you're attached in the front, whether it's to your, your ventral or to your sternal, you are splayed open a little bit more, airways a little more open. It's a little bit more conducive to survival. But again, you're still compromised. You're still uh, that just by being suspended, you are compromised. There was some research done at NIOSH by a, a lady named Nina Turner several years ago, now maybe 10 years ago. And they, they used a tilt table. You took people's blood pressure in different positions, and then they hung people in harnesses and took their blood pressure while they were in different positions. And what they found is that there was some sort of traumatic response associated with being suspended for a period of time, unless two things. The knees were raised, so raising your knees for some reason seems to help, and pedaling your feet, moving your legs, wiggling your legs. So if you don't have your knees up around your, your waist, then the second best choice is to be able to pump your legs, stand up in an atria or uh, even just flex and, and unflex those legs. And so, so being able to move your legs somehow manages to stave off the effects of suspension intolerance or suspension trauma. That said, if somebody's unconscious, they're not going to be able to do pretty much either of those things. So what that means is we need to get that person down sooner than later. It used to be that we would teach, and this was based on a physician, I think out of England perhaps, who had suggested a position when you get a person to rescue, put leave them in a seated position with their knees up and not lay them flat for transport. That philosophy has, has since been disproven. So the medical community now says, no, transport them flat, transport them in an ambulance if you can in case somebody does crash you do you, you want ambulance there but but transport them flat treat for shock just like you normally would but monitor that person even for the next few days for tingling in their limbs disoriented thinking cramps in their in their legs or other parts of their body uh, or difficulty breathing and all of those things can potentially arise uh, even after the event even even hours to days after the person has been in a suspended condition is there a, a concern over the potential of a spinal injury or do we just assume that obviously suspension could lead to fatality? So maybe that serves a priority in terms of the hierarchy of needs. But when we're lowering someone to the ground, is being concerned of a spinal necessary or do we not need to concern ourselves? That's a really good question. I, I think that um, spinal precautions are always in order based on mechanism of injury, right? So if somebody has taken a whipper, we should take a certain amount of spinal precaution. That said, how much spinal precaution are you going to be able to take? Um, and are you going to do more harm than good? Yeah, are you going to do more harm than good trying to get somebody into a sea collar or getting somebody into a shortboard or a skid or something like that while they're suspended. Chances are you're not going to be able to do them a whole lot of good till you have them on the ground anyway. So doing that and stabilizing them as much as possible through the process is kind of a win-win in that situation. We talked prior to the recording about just overall this industry. You've been in this field for longer than myself. I really want people to know about this field more than they know about this field. I find that 
for me, I've struggled with um, maybe sharing the whys or the what I even I do. The elevator speech can be sometimes challenging. What's your perception on how the industry, how how it might grow? Because you're very excited and passionate about this field, and I and no doubt as we talk about like this, wanting to share this information with people, I know that people listening to this might be interested in this stuff too, but how do you see the industry growing? Yeah. You know, it's funny working at height and playing at height changes people's lives. I mean, you talk to people who you would never imagine had ever done anything of the sort. And you find out that the highlight of their life was being on a zip line somewhere or was climbing a climbing wall somewhere or was mastering a, a ropes course that they went to at a camp or, and, and that stuff changes people's lives. That stuff, I mean, it's, it's, there's no wonder it's used in, in leadership seminars, in uh, kids programs for, for growth, for relationship building. It, it's no wonder because, because it, it really does. It affects people in a place where they learn about themselves and they learn about connecting and honoring and trusting one another, uh, which we don't get pushed to that edge very often in our, our normal society, do we? I mean, it's not the world that we live in. The most dangerous thing I do, I think, is, is drive home on the freeway every night. But I think that the potential for growth in this industry is huge. I think f- just specifically in terms of ropes course um, and challenge course, I think that, that challenge courses have the potential to be a significant part of any educational growth opportunity, you know, schools, universities, business places. I, I think the more that, that we can engage people in ropes course kinds of activities, the better they're going to be at whatever they do because of what it creates in themselves and in their relationships with others. That said, I also see that work at height is expanding and growing and the opportunities for growth are just exponential there. Rope access in and of itself has opened up doors to be able to to work on and inspect and do structural modifications or care of maintenance of parts of our world that were built hundreds of years years ago and and we haven't touched since right the facades of ancient buildings in in Europe and bridges and towers that were built that transmit the electricity across our country you know, those haven't been touched in in decades some of them and and bridges we know of the problems with bridges and so all the inspections that are going on now without rope access we wouldn't be able to even think about touching or inspecting those things. Uh, projects that once would have been ridiculously expensive or out of reach financially because of having to, to rig gauge you know, powered platforms or, or uh, scaffolds. Now we don't need sca- scaffolds or powered platforms or we, we can do it with rope access and we can do it safer than ever before in a two rope system. So, so I think that the opportunity for improved safety improved efficiency, reduced cost, and the ability to access more places is higher now than it's ever been before. Beautiful way to end this conversation, uh, Louis. Thank you so much for 
sharing your passion and hopefully other people are like just glowing with this with this uh, residual passion that you're able to transmit if people want to reach out to louis i'm going to throw into the description of this podcast episode all of the information so you can reach out to louis so i hope that other people listening to this maybe jumped into this episode and maybe didn't know who louis is and now has a little bit more of a, a touch point to be able to say yes this is someone i should know and learn more about so uh thank you louis for joining me thank you so much for having me sir Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs>